You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. One of the important aspects of Black History Month is that it's not just about what happened 50, 100, 200 years ago. It's also about the present, the world around us, and what's happening now to bring greater representation and celebration of African-American accomplishments and contributions. Of course, it's important to recognize what has come before us. Black history is an integral part of American history and culture. But it's also important, though, to recognize the lives and experiences of those we meet and work with every day. Sharon Catherine Brown is making history and leaving a legacy with every performance. It is a surety of herself and confidence in her actions that makes her someone to admire and applaud. No, not because she's better than you or me, not because she's got it all together, which she admits is not the case, but rather because she is one of us. She's gone through her own challenges and felt the ups and downs of this career and has come through them a better performer and a better person. So it is with great honor and pleasure that I bring you the second half of our conversation She talks about a nightmare experience on stage in Floor of the Red Menace, and she recalls the milestone TV show she was a part of with all black cast. And she also emphasizes the importance of knowing our worth as actors. You can be hired as an actor to do a show where Tom Kitt is doing the music and they ask you to work for $300 or $500. And I'm like, how come it's a business for you guys, but it's not a business for us? Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode here on Why I'll Never Make It, an award-winning theater podcast hosted by yours truly, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for more than 30 years. Every other week, I talk with fellow creatives who bring us stories from their own life of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can subscribe, donate, and find past episodes. Again, that's whyillnevermakeit.com. In part one, Shaykat talked about coming from a family of performers and when she knew she was born to be a drama queen. And in this episode, we pick up with her third story about the nervousness and panic of being a last-minute replacement in a stage production. Okay, so I was doing a soap opera at the time for NBC. And, you know, when you're under contract, you're under contract. Even if they're not using you every day, And also, whatever the shooting day is, that's not a guarantee of ending at any particular time. That's just how it is. So I auditioned for Flora the Red Menace and got it. And by the way, uh, Jodi Benson, who is the original Little Mermaid voice, who I did Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat with, she she and her husband, Ray, they were in the ensemble. She was Flora. So I was like, oh, and that's, you know, that's, that's great. If I get this, I'll be working with Jody again. So I got it. But they, they didn't have understudies. They were not providing understudies for this production. And so my agent was like, look, she's under contract to NBC. We cannot guarantee she'll probably be finished by 
six or seven at, at night, but that's not a guarantee. And we're not going to pull her from the set like that. We're not getting sued over this. And they hemmed and hawed a bit and they're like, you know, we don't, we're, this is not, we don't have it budgeted, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and my agent was like, well, she can't, she can't do it then if, if, because they can't guarantee. Okay. Bum, they go off, they hire who they're going to hire and I'm still doing my soapbox. Two days before their first performance, <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. Call <laughs> oh, my agent and go. We let her go. Wasn't working out. Please, can Sharon do this show? We will hire a young lady to be her understudy. Please, 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 can she? So my agent. So that's not you know. My, my theater training tells me, yes, say yes, because this is drama. And my brain is like, are you insane? Like, this is two, day ba- oh, two days. So I said, yes, of course. You know, I said, yes. So, so they have to get a rehearsal room. I'm working. I'm still like doing the TV show. So they have to get a rehearsal room and go over everything. And I'm, go- I'm going over the music and in my head, I'm like, Wow, so then we're we're doing this right, and then the next day there's the put in, but it's like a full fledged rehearsal for me because we've got entrances and exits and entrances and exits and this and that. At some point, all actors have had the the dream of being on stage and not knowing what show they're doing, but I like I lived it. Because when when the curtain came up, I realized in that moment, I almost wanted to fake fainting. That's how scared I was. I was like, if I just drop, then they'll have to stop the show. <laughs> so every time I had to make an entrance, you know, there was somebody on the side and with a script and everything. I didn't, I couldn't have the show committed to memory. But I literally didn't know the show, Patrick. I'm talking about literally like I was, the curtain was up and I went, I, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know time, space. I don't know what the show is. I was like, I don't know. It was very terrifying. And I was like in the group numbers, I was just a little bit behind with the lyrics. I would like, you know, like where I'm a little bit behind. Because I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. It was so it was it was terrifying because it was like that for the first week. You know, there was no time to go to get comfortable. It was just fear. It was fear all the time. And I was aware of the fact I'm doing a show and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm living the nightmare instead of living the dream. I'm living the nightmare. And that like I it it was lots of little things where I would make an entrance and we'd be in the middle of a, of a group number and I didn't know one thing about it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm standing here and I don't even know when to leave. This is so horrible. Like the main scenes that I had, I got through. All the rest of the stuff was just a, a, it was a nightmare for me. It was a nightmare. I was like, the only other thing that could happen now is that my, all my clothes fall off. <laughs> Like just poof. Right. And I'm on stage. Just suddenly I'm like, why am I naked? <laughs> like, it's really hideous. And did it ever 
not become a nightmare? Did you ever start to feel Flora the Menace, the show, and get into it? The last week. <laughs> yeah, the there run. you go. The last week. No, seriously. The last week, I always felt it was a short run anyway. It wasn't a, a super long run. And, you know, I, I don't know if, if this is true for you. I always feel like the three-month mark is the sweet spot for, okay, we're here, and now we go to another level. Another, like, I feel it. The first three months is is when you are letting it gel and finding things, and you. But you need three months before, or at least I do, before it feels like okay. I know, I I know what I'm doing. It's it's that third month that you're like, now I can go to the next level. I keep wanting to dig deeper and get better, and and you know, do more and more. And I don't think, I don't think the run was that long, so. I never really felt it. And the, the like things started to gel in the final week. And I was like, oh, yes, this makes sense. And I enter here and God get. And then we were, we were, it was done because it, was, it wasn't that long. It was an uncomfortable gig where I loved who I was working with. I loved the, the, the people. But my own life on stage was always really scary. Ugh. And because I was working in the daytime. It sounds like a horrible place to be in. It was terrible. It was it was terrible because it felt like that nightmare all the time. Mm. It felt like I was always coming in going, what show is this? Well, it's interesting when you talk about regional theaters that don't really have a lot of, you know, you that three-month window. You, you don't you don't get that in regional theaters. No. I mean, you, you may get two, maybe four, if you're lucky, weeks of rehearsal, and then a month or two of run, and then you're done. So yeah. you often don't get that. But I think that's one thing that I love about regional theater. It just kind of like throws it up, and it's a different muscle than, say, when you're on a long-run tour or a Broadway show like you've done. Like for me, I know that I was cast in one of my dream roles, Don Quixote and Man of La Mancha. But I did it for 400 bucks a week, less than 400, sorry, less than 400. I mean, getting paid nothing, but it was like, but I get to do this role. And, yeah. you know, we had two or three weeks of rehearsal and then I got to do it for a month. And, and it was like, I may never get to do this again. So it, that's one thing that I love about kind of doing the regional circuit, you know, kind of away from the, the eyes and the high profileness of like New York. I don't like the pay. Yeah. I don't like the pay. This is just going to make so many of my my friends mad because it's so polarizing my opinions on this. But I remember when Lord was started. God, that makes me sound like a, a stone, but and, and like a rock. But um, I remember hearing about that, and you know, being I mean, I was much younger, but well, I was very cocky when I said that will never work. I remember saying that to my friends. I was like, no actor is going to fall for this contract. That will never work. Because I thought, how can you take care of yourself on that little money? And you're, you're not going to do less because that's not what you do as an actor. You don't put in based on what you're getting paid or else yeah. <laughs> our industry would suck. Right. I've never given a performance that was based upon my pay ever. I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, so I, to this day, I'm, I'm like, mm, I'm not in love with that aspect of it. I'm not in love with it. Because, and, and the older you get, the more bills you have. 
so you're like you're still paying me like I'm 18. Well, don't, well, yeah, because I mean, as you say, a lot of performers, and I've been there. A lot of performers will sacrifice personally, financially, just to do theater, just to do this particular show, and. Of course, as we've been talking about, we artists love what we do. We do it because we love it. We're passionate about it. But how have you found that balance with making a living, the business side, getting paid, but then also being an artist and doing what you love? Oh, I don't know that I found the balance. I mean, I don't think I found the balance. Then do you just have to choose one or the other? Well, because I'm... Don't do this at home, kids. Okay, don't follow my lead. But I will always choose to starve rather than not pay my worth. That's just a, a pit that you fall in that you don't get it. Or or to do something that I know I am not going to have a good time doing this. Like, I am the person who will leave a bad situation without necessarily having a situation to go to in life and in my career. So I don't know that I found the balance. I know that a lot of people would look at me and go, you're a fool. But it's okay because they don't have to worry about it. You know, it's me. But I mean, I don't know that I found that balance. I just know that there are certain things that I will do and certain things that I that I won't do. I so when I was married, you know, we had joint taxes. And then when I was divorced, I, I was doing my taxes. And, you know, it had been a while since I did them uh, by myself. You know, I mean, I mean, as a, as a single person, right? So I kept looking each year going, is this all I made? Because I was working all the time. And I was like, my taxes changed what I say yes to. I looked and went, I've been working for peanuts and putting out the same energy as if you were paying me, you know, a million bucks. And my taxes revealed that to me, that I was saying yes more times than I should and that I wasn't getting paid my worth. I was like, I have worked so hard all year and this is it. This is because I did this for free and did this for little and did this for that, you know, and this was this favor. And the second year and the third year were different because I learned how to say no. And it was like, you have to create and set your own precedent and go, if, if I'm going to say yes to these things, it gets you in a hole. And you're, you're, the sacrifice that you have to make is, and I'm going to struggle here, but people are going to either learn to hire me for what, I, what I'm worth as a performer, or they'll get somebody else. But I don't want to work for under this amount. I don't want to do it. And that is not an easy decision to make. And it's definitely not easy when you're not 18. You know what I mean? That's not, it's just not. But I just looked, it was so revealing to me. And, that, and that's the thing is, you know, it's not just the business for the producers and then the directors and the incredible technicians. And it, it's not just a business for the investors. It's also a business for actors. And I think what happens, not I think what happens, I know what happens. We're always told and reminded, as if we have to be reminded, how much we love 
this business and what we're willing to do to play a role. I mean, you just said it. But I could never do a reading and get the great Tom Kidd. I'm only mentioning him because I worked with him. I love him so much. And go, can you do this reading? Can you do the music for my reading for $300? It's just 29 hours. Tom Kitt, do you know what I'm saying? But you can be hired as an actor to do a show where Tom Kitt is doing the music and they ask you to work for $300 or $500. And I'm like, how come it's a business for you guys, but it's not a business for us? Mm. We have bills to pay. But this is a polarizing thing I'm saying because not all actors agree with me, but you know, I, I know a lot of people. So I've been to a lot of homes, you know, when you're just socializing. And none of my actor friends have apartments like the directors I know or the producers I know. None of them live that way. That's a good point, yes. I'm not saying that actors don't live this way. What happens is the actors that are working and that have the awards and that, they, that are famous, that are, you know, celebrity status, that keep on getting the roles on Broadway because it's a business and you got to have the people pulling them in. That's all anybody focuses on. But when you're not that, what you are aware of is there are more actors that are not living that life. And so actors, there's so many of you and everybody wants to do what you're doing. And so in order to get this big production on, we got to skimp somewhere. There's so many of you in the, in the do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I could never go to Michael Mayer. That's, that's another director. Like I'm, I'm pointing these people out because I worked with them because I, I love him. Yep. And go, can you direct my reading? He's got a price. She'll do the reading. But he's got his quote is way higher than ours. Right. Well, I guess I'm like crossing over into a question you were going to ask later on, which is who is the most invaluable, do you think? You know, who is the most undervalued? But I mean, actors, there's something about paying actors their worth because we are thought of as the 2% instead of the bigger portion of actors are not making huge money. They're not living in huge mansions. They may not have that regular role on television. Most of the people in both of our unions, in SAG African and, and Equity, are not that upper echelon. Right. Okay? So people look at the whole as if we're that 2%. And there's this thing of, you love what you're doing, and do this for this little bit of money because look at the exposure you get. And look, you get, look, you get to do this role. And so I'm like, okay, so say all that is true. And that's certainly what equity's point of view is. Hey, at least you're working, right? You know, that, that's what they always say. But my point is this. Everyone is really, really important on any set any stage that you get, everybody, everybody is important, literally. When you go into the theater, from the time you're buying your ticket, to the ushers, to everybody, it's a, it's a collective effort. But you have to have something to see. And if you don't have something to see, if you don't have someone willing to bring the story to life, then what you have is a book. 
And what I feel is that people want to produce these big, huge things, but pay us as if we're just reading a book. And if you ask to be paid what you're worth, what everybody is worth, you get the different narrative. You get, well, this is free for art and exposure. And look how big this project is going to be. And you're like, I get all that. But what is it going to do if you have no one to perform it? Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. We continue our conversation as Shaykat does something most guests don't do. Call me out for my shenanigans backstage. Patrick, you should tell your audience how you tortured me in the wings. How come you don't let those stories be heard? Tortured? Yeah. I was a model of professionalism Uh, at all times. You know what? What the audience can't see is that your nose is growing. (laughs) Reach the other counties because that's not true at all. Well, the thing is, is that that's what I love about theater. I think more so than being on a TV or film set is that there is camaraderie. There is that playfulness. I don't feel like I can play around on a TV set. It is so like we have to do this scene depending once you're on camera. If you're in the core group, that core group decides when laughter can ensue. Right. But when you are, when you're a guest star, it's Shakespeare. Do you know, like you can, you know what I mean? Like you can't, if somebody laughs, then you, you can, you can go, huh, but you can't join in like you're one of the regulars. You know, you have to be like, because it's not your tribe. Uh-huh. It's like, literally, they're inviting you over to, to their house and you have to be a really good guest. But our, you know, theater is that the core group is as large as it is or as small as it is then there's no like people coming in it like that's it it's the family you 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 know yeah and it's also funny like when i'm thinking about the anna green gables cast shameless plug shameless plug shameless plug is so incredible but, but you and i specifically the dynamics of not if you don't know the first couple of days like who is who or like you said, you're like, who's Sharon? Yeah. But I just remember like the first, somewhere in that first week, we joked about something and it never stopped. It was like from that moment, it was like, because your character is very stern and my character is very stern. And you don't know whether somebody is really that character. And once I was like, oh, he's literally like the most foolish person ever. And then it was, it was on. It was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, my jokes. That, and that's the thing that theater is like, gives you that opportunity to be like, ding, a kindred spirit. 
And to that point, I wasn't sure about you either, because my, my first impression of you, I mean, you were so put together and you were so like, like ready for rehearsal. And I was so not put together, well, but, right? But what because I'm saying, my father had just, yeah. But what I'm saying is like how you were coming into the rehearsal space. Yeah. You, were, you were very together and on top of things. And then you were so very serious, like we are back on stage and we need to be grateful for that. It was just like, you were just very impassioned about, you know, during yeah. your little rehearsal speeches that you would give from time to time. I was like, <laughs> wow, she is really intense. And so then yes. <laughs> once you and I started like have a little like joke that, and it was like, oh, well, and then. And, many facets. And then, and then. Many, then, many signs. Yeah. And then take that joke a little yeah. further and you, we've, yeah. And then it was off to the races. <laughs> which, is, which is what I love because in theater, I have found so many, so many kindred spirits and lifelong friends that I haven't found doing TV commercials or whatever. Right. You know, it, you have to depend on each other in a different way. And it, it works best when you are each other's safety net. It works best when everybody's not just, well, I mean, I think that way for, I've, I've done television and film. I just think you should always be a team and, and a family, but it works best when you are like, I, I got you. And in live theater, you have to have that. Like, that was the thing that made me so happy and proud is people constantly said when they would see uh, our show, they're like, we know that you're close. We can see that. We see it and we feel it. And I'm like, yes, that it's so strong. And, you know, and if some, something happened, you knew that the rest of the cast is like, I got you. Everybody had each other's back. Everybody, yeah. you know, just the, we, we are the ones that would see the different things that would happen on stage and go, look at how they recovered. Look at how they recovered. Like it would, it would warm your heart, you know, mm -hmm. it would just warm your heart. So, yeah, that's the thing that is really magical about, about theater and that you're just, out there never really know within the framework of what you've rehearsed so well and what you've checked and made sure within that framework is a complete unknown world of oh my lord this could happen and what, i didn't know that this could happen you know well the, well, well in, in many ways that's what that two or three week rehearsal process is all about. It's a, a yes, it's about finding out the things you want to do and the directions you want to go, but it's also about getting those kinks out. It's about getting the right. getting getting the mistakes out of the way. That that's yeah. that's what I have to do. I have to get all my mistakes out of the way. I have to like just kind of like lay it all out there, do the stupid things. Because if I don't do them now, they're gonna happen in performance. Right. You want to that, you know, that's that's something that I grew stronger in the more experience I had, the older I got, the older I got, the more uh, the comfortable I got with being vulnerable in front of the cast, whatever show I was doing, because there is a certain point in my career where I embraced what I knew was going to be a total, you know, what show in rehearsal, you know, it's always like that for me in rehearsal. And I'm like, I learned to embrace it. At some point in rehearsal, every show that I do, I'm going to say, why did they hire me? At some point, I'm going to go, how did I get this job? At some point, I'm going to go, why am I still in show business? How did I get, you know, like, 
And I and I now I know it's going to happen, and I embrace it and go. And by the by the time that we open, it's going to be different than this. What it feels like now, and so, you know, you you, I lean into making choices that might be wrong because I'm like it's rehearsal. If I don't do it here, like this, I learned how to be comfortable in rehearsal because I used to, I used to be uncomfortable in rehearsal and want to jump ten steps ahead. I wanted to already be performance ready. And, I, and if I made a mistake, it wasn't good to me. It wasn't funny to me. It was, I couldn't laugh it off. I couldn't shake it off I, because I was younger. So I took myself too seriously. Like you tend to do that when you're younger. Oh, and yeah. so when, when I was younger, I was like, I have not had the perfect performance. How can I go on? And also... This was, an, this was another thing that people didn't know until I felt comfortable enough to tell anybody who would listen. I had like just short of debilitating stage fright most of my career. And no one had any idea because I was working so much and getting big things, how difficult that was for me to keep getting things. I always wanted to be in the theater. You know, I can be in the dressing room and what, when my favorite thing is as the theater comes alive with sound, whether you're doing a play or a musical, but the musical has its own thing because you hear the, the orchestra warming up and that's its own different thing and it makes me very, very happy. But getting to the theater used to be torture for me because the entire day, from early in the morning until I went to the theater. I'm always in the theater early, but still it took the entire day to get there, hmm. to get up the confidence. And then it became, it was always worse for me after I got the job. And I was like, this is terrible. I got the gig and I'm more nervous now and more scared now than auditioning for it. It was almost worse. And there was one audition where was the final call, Matt? And I said I wasn't going to go because I was thinking, oh, they, this is so weird, but I'm sure some, some actor will relate to this. I was like, well, they obviously like me and I don't want to disappoint them. So I should leave now. Right. I can't I get was any like, better. This is going, I was like, this is going too well. You know, the park. And now there's a final, final. I'm, Patrick, when I say final, I mean someone was walking out of the rehearsal hall with the job because people did things in different times. There, there was a lot of different things when I was when I was growing up. You did auditions in the theater on stage. I mean, that was the best thing ever. Even if you didn't get the gig, you're like, but look at like that was big and huge. And because you couldn't, you couldn't see the creative team. They were somewhere out there in the dark with the rest of the audience. You know, it was so cool. It gets me excited just to talk about it. But it, someone was walking out with the gig. And this is going so well. I can only disappoint them. And I can't take that. So I'll just not go. And my mother was like, you know, that's a decision you should have made three auditions ago. She said, this is not good. At this point, it's going to make you look. She said, you waited too long. She didn't care whether I took the job or not. It was the way it was going on. She said, no, they're like, they're, that's unprofessional. 
and she said, and you're getting in your own head in a, in a way, she goes, they're calling you back because they like you, because of what you don't have to, you know, she gave me a great, a great pep talk, but, and I'm, and I'm so glad she did, but like that was most of my career was, was that. When did that finally start to change for you? After my divorce. I, I remember it was after my divorce, so it sounds like it was linked to that, but I don't know whether it was linked to that or not. But there's a lot of things that changed in my life. And I think maybe in some, because I think when I got married, I got off my path a little bit for the amount of time that I was married. I think that I really was praying because I, I did. I prayed. I, I literally got on my knees and prayed to God. I was like, I love being on stage so much. And I just don't want to be afraid. I Because I, I, I was always thinking that. It's like, I don't, I have all these credits and it, I would never see my body of work as a body of work. And that, that's just one of the things my, mo- my mom was always like, you're never living in the moment. You're never, you're just going to miss everything that you're doing. I mean, she was, she was so correct. And at some point, I, I know what it, I know what it is. So maybe it is linked. I think the divorce was so like nasty and yucky to go through that my mind was focused on what was going on in my personal life and came through all my auditions. So I wasn't, I wasn't auditioning like, love me, love me, like me, like me, or what are they? I was telling a story differently. And I'm grateful for that. So from I started coming into the room and like telling people my story through whatever, whatever the character was. I'm bringing me instead of, you may have asked for four things, but I want to show you why this is actually the way it should go. You know, I didn't know whether I was going to like book stuff and I was just, I couldn't wait to get on stage. And that was so different. I was like, no matter what, how big the songs were, or you know, emotional, I was like, I was fully there for the first time. And I never went back to that, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, I, w- I would almost rather give up the gig than, than do this final callback. Isn't that kind of nuts? But I mean, when I was relieved of that, when I was free of that, I was like a eight-year-old girl skipping in a meadow. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was free of this thing that really made my art not fun. You know, so I felt like I was this tortured artist instead of being this free artist. You have been in the cast of some of the biggest shows of my childhood. Yeah. Good times. Wait. Yeah, so when you say that, it makes it seem like the way you phrase that, you have been a part of some of history's great. Would, tell me, tell me, because I know you know, what was Moses like? Right. Like, did he like, like, dang. I mean, you asked that question and dust flew out of my laptop. Like, literally, is what you just said is that you grew up watching yeah. me. Yeah. 
that didn't happen. <laughs> no, that's not. I'm going to be on the side of the podcast audience and they're going to be on my side. And we're going to say that was shady. All right. But yeah, it's good oh, time. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to rephrase it then. Okay, you ready? But leave in the way you first did it so that they know how shady you are. <laughs> leave, in, leave it in. Don't edit that out. Because, For you, I will yeah. leave that in. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let me rephrase it then. You and I were similar in age, but you started so much younger than I did when it came to doing TV and stuff. And yeah. so some of the biggest shows that from my childhood, and you were also young yourself, was Good Times, Different World, Fresh Prince, The Jeffersons. I mean, these these are all shows that I loved from the yeah. 80s and early 90s. And I mean, these were like milestones, not only in my TV watching, but, you know, like in history, these were, you know, milestones. Did it feel like you were a part of these big, huge shows at the time? Um. A different world did. It just feels like work. That's my honest. You're not looking at, oh, this show is it. With good times, it was irritating because my dad and I didn't work together. I was like, how is this possible? You know what I mean? So, like, I really wanted, my dad wasn't wasn't uh, working that day. And I was like, I can't believe, I can't believe this. And I had auditioned for other things and, not gotten it. I feel like I, because I grew up with Janet and I feel like I auditioned for Penny and didn't get it. I've auditioned to be my dad's daughter in commercials and didn't get it. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? You know, so when I did the Fresh Prince, it was just good to get the credit. That's how I always thought things like, oh, I auditioned for this and I got it. You don't know when something is new, what it's going to be. You know what I mean? And even with the Jeffersons, like uh, that actually, I was surprised that got. But a different world, I really, really, really wanted to be on that show. And I was very happy about getting that. But what I didn't know is I didn't know that was going to be one of the most popular episodes of all time. That made its own history, my, my episode. Hmm. And Don Lewis, to this day, you have to realize this is so long ago. We all get messages about that specific episode and people will repost it and repost to this day. Don and I were talking about that because it's also her favorite episode. I play an opera singer. These are the lyrics and I penciled in our part. So we'll sing it first and then you repeat it. Okay. 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 You ready? I really gotta use. I really gotta use. My imagination. My imagination. Angela, dear. No one appreciates good diction more than me. I. Thank you. The word is, I really gotta use my imagination. That's what I said. And no, you said. I've got two. It's a little thing, but a big thing. <laughs> Sorry. Shall we continue? Sure. To think of a reason. To think of a reason. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. I hate to raise that little diction flag again. <laughs> but you're hitting your ings too hard. It's just keeping. There's no such word as keeping. There is in this song. <laughs> well, I guess I can sound stupid for a good cause. 
Here's something that is really scary that has happened on Instagram. I'm not an opera singer. If I were doing a movie and I had to play an opera singer and I worked with a vocal coach, I could play an opera singer. But I literally was like, you know, it's a sitcom. I got the thing. I made up this character. It's a joke. I get this message from an opera Instagram account of Black opera singer. I'm on that account. They're like going, remember, you know, Shannon Captain Brown? I'm like, no, 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 you know, because people come to this account that like, you know, they know opera and they are, I'm humiliated because I'm like, no, no, no. Why? Why am I on that? I'm on that. <laughs> I just don't know what to say about that. It's like, there's no part of me that is that that wasn't real. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it is crazy. The things that we are a part of that we just don't know what they're going to turn into or what they will become. No. I remember we both started in commercials or we both did a lot of commercials. Yeah. You, you did it more when you was younger. It wasn't until I was uh, in high school or college that I really started to do commercials. But I remember this was when I was living in Orlando and I went to do what, what was going to be just kind of a funny spoof of a thing. And it was for this cable company. It was a series of commercials that they did. And I was the lead guy, kind of a crocodile hunter parody spoof. But little did I know that I do this commercial in the summer. And by that Halloween in Orlando, people are going as my character for Halloween. Wow. Right? It's like, oh, what? It's you like, don't know. Yeah. You don't like to me, it was just another gig. It was certainly fun because I was like in the water and then I was like wrestling things. And I was, I mean, it was a very active oh shoot. But then come to find out, people really loved it. My dad was spokesperson for uh, Wright Brothers Pen, that was Paperman. Yeah. And then TWA, when there was an airline, TWA, and his character was Bud Jones. And I just remember back then when he w it was it was huge, like because he was the spokesperson for that. And they would be like, Bud Jones, you know, they they were calling my dad out. And I was like, this is incredible. I will say about a different world. I learned something that that was just very interesting for me. I did a movie with Molly Ringwald and that script started out one way that's very incredible and unfortunately the movie that was made was not incredible so not incredible the writers asked for their names to be taken off and i got it but i got i understood it because the script was so good so i was on the road with dream girls i played effie and they were like we're going back to broadway and i got this movie and i was like oh i've done effie for a year and I was like this is a movie I wanted to get more movies you know I wanted to get more under my belt and it was my company that went to Broadway and they got Lillian and then they asked me to come when my movie was over there like can you come and close it out so it's funny to me because everybody's always like oh yeah you're the one who replaced Lillian so I was like yes and no and her replaced me but that script that we ended up with, I would not have left Dreamgirls for. That, you see what I mean? Like, that's the scary thing about movies to me, is I learned it firsthand. I was like, that, the script that they originally wrote and that they were proud of, that was like, this is going to be a game changer for me, for my career. And this is a script, I'm like, I love this. 
that they're treating young people not stupid. Uh, we were in our early 20s when we were playing high school. And, but then it turned out to, you know, not be that. But when I got the movie and people would ask me, what are you doing? Molly Ringwald was huge. Mm. She was the brat pack, you know, in her red hair and all that. So I made the assumption when I told people, oh, yeah, I'm doing a movie with Molly Ringwald. There would be this, oh, my gosh, there wasn't this huge reaction. When I did A Different World, people were like, the Lisa Bonet show? And I know that it seemed like I would have learned that lesson before that moment. But it was, you know how certain things you go, wow, there is nothing like television. I'm in a movie with a huge movie star and half the people that asked me what I was doing did not know her. I was like, how do you know? They're like, Molly Ringwald. I was like, how do you know? A Different World, the Lisa Bonet spinoff. You would say, oh, the Lisa Bonet, the Cosby. Cosby show was so huge. I I mean, everybody knew. All those kids. But television, it's so incredible, the power of the, it's a box. I know people have flat screens that are huge, but I'm talking about how it started. And I watch more television on my laptop and my cell phone than I do my TV. So it's even smaller that I'm willing to somehow translate. You know what I mean? It's very funny to me. That's why I guess when you're saying like, did you realize you were doing this? I think I'm always thinking of it's work. I auditioned for this thing and I want it. I, I'm not going to audition if I don't want it. And I got it. And now what's the next thing? Like, that's how I always saw things. Later on, if it's all of a sudden on a, on a list of shows that, are, that made history, then you, you do feel like, oh, that's, that's cool. I did an episode of that. But when people are sending stuff, I think that's the part I'm just never going to get used to because it's so creepy. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what it feels like. And I hope that this analogy is not too crass. Uh, I'm not saying a bad word or anything. But when people send me, look, everybody means well. I'm just saying it's, it's me. It's not them. It's the way I react to the fact that I do not, I do not watch my, myself. There's no reason. I've done it. There's no reason. That... When somebody sends me a clip of whatever I've done and it's on YouTube, I, I feel like they've handed me my underwear. And I'm like, how did you? I'm, and I'm wondering. I'm sorry, that's how it feels. Like, and I'm going, how did you? You know, like, it feels like, look at this. And I'm like, how did you? That's what it feels like to me. So I don't funny. know how it feels anybody else. Well, I mean, I mean, granted, I have not, so, I have not done some of the big profile stuff you've done, but every now and then an episode or something or a commercial will come on and yeah, people will send pictures and I don't quite feel like that. Um, but I, I'm more in just like wonderment. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's still showing or, you know, that people are still watching it. It's just so weird. It feels, I'm not, that's my analogy. Cause that's what it <laughs> Because it feels like so, I'm always, I'm like, and I'm always like, oh, oh that's gosh. cool, thank you. And I'm like, I, when I would do photo shoots, my least favorite part was then having to pick out the actual headshot. You know, right. when you're getting your headshots done, I'm like, oh, why can't somebody else? Like, I, I, I did it. We got through it. 
Now you want me to look, and now digital, you can look at like 500. I'm like, it's with, I can't tell the eyes up, eyes down. It's such a, a slight amount of movement either gets you the job or not. And I don't, it's too, it's just too much, too much shake out. <laughs> right, right. We get in our heads about the littlest things because we feel like the smallest incremental movement or maybe if I do this a little bit better or a little differently or like we just feel like the smallest moments make the biggest impact and for TV film when you're on camera that little eye movement to the left or to the right can mean a world of things to to, to that character or to that moment. That's what self-tapes are great for like the world of self-taping is it's a pain in the neck and Nothing is scarier than the slate. I will do two takes on on the scene, right? The thing that's supposed to get you the job or not, and do 18 takes of just saying my name. And I don't understand. Like, it never... It's just never... Hi, I'm Sharon Catherine. Oh, no, that's too desperate. Hi, I'm Sharon Catherine. That's too cheerful. That's going to scare them. And I'm like, it's just your name. It's just your name. They just want to know who you are. Why is that so hard? You know, and well, to your defense, casting directors have stupidly made the slate okay, not just your name and your height and where you live. No, that's normal. Now we need you to give us these 17 other things about your vaccination oh, status yes. and about yeah. have you ever done this and what do you feel about it's like what like and then why? and then do we need a full shot of you? Uh, zoom in and I'm right. like, and turn around all, now show your hands back and front, like all the different yeah. things. I'm like, like I just, and you're making an, an assumption that my New York apartment is even big enough to give you a full shot that you want. You're making the assumption that I can back up without stepping on a cat or bumping into a wall. And, and now I am, I'm not Sharon Catherine Brown, so I'm not at your level, but the roles that I go out for are usually one or two lines. So my slate is often much longer than my actual audition. Oh my so, <laughs> right? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, I'm putting so much work into my slate. And then literally it comes down. You see your range. <laughs> right, right. Show your you personality. Your range. Yeah, and then it comes to the audition. And I'm like, the reader has more lines than I do. So the reader is doing their Hilarious. monologue. And then I go, really? <laughs> you know, oh my gosh. I get I get that. I, I totally understand that. No, it the good thing that happens with, with self-tape is you are like what you just said about the slightest little move. Because you can't obviously, there's no reason to perform to the back of the house, obviously, when you're doing television and film. And for the longest time, that's why they didn't want to hire theater people. It was an assumption they made that there is no way we can pull them in. There was a time where that was a thought. Theater actors are too big, or they're too loud, or that. But you're an actor, you're an actress, so you adapt to each medium. I mean, that's just what you do. And with self tapes, you're getting to see it before sending it, as opposed to there are times where they would put you on film when you would go into the office, and you always wanted to to see it, but you know you're not going to ask to see it. You know what I mean? Which one are you going to spend? What do you think of it? You don't, we don't have that kind. You're one of several people coming in. That's the part of it that's, that's good because I've been able to look and go, oh, I, I don't need to look all the way over here. I'm, 
eyeline is so important that they see you, see that person for real. Mm. And I'm, I am like really grateful for that. But the rest of having to be my own crew member, I mean, they're, they're, like, those guys are members of IOXI for a reason. And the Teamsters, like, they know what they're doing. <laughs> I'm like... I'm with you. I'm with just, you. You're everything. You're everything. But, uh, but I, there's another part of that. The flip side is when, like, we have the technology. We have those things now. And it, I don't think there's a better time to be an actor because I, I used to stress over whether I had all the tools I needed. You know, I get headshots and then you need a new agent and they want you to get more headshots. And you're like, oh, excuse me, if I, you know, all of this stuff, because everything is digital and it's the best time to, you always have your tool. I don't ever feel like there's something that I uh, need that I can't get or don't have. But like, that's the good part of it is that I have learned from it. It's just hard when you have several and you're working you want to get it all in but you don't want to just hand it in sometimes i'm concentrating so much on all the technical stuff i'm like hey maybe i should learn my lines yeah yeah how about that maybe i should get in character Thank you so much for listening to Sharon Catherine Brown and myself for parts 1 and 2 of our conversation Until next time, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and publishing this podcast, which is a production of WinMe Media. Background music used in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. Be sure to join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.